The historic Tuhoi Treaty Settlement Ceremony has pushed the number of Crown iwi agreements to about halfway. There are roughly 60 down, 60 to go. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme looks at who's happy, who's not, and whether the settlements will stick. You have not been greedy. You have not been demanding. You have been persevering. And you have been eloquent. It's 1990, and the government of the day resolves the first historical treaty claim, returning the Waitomo Caves. You have progressed the demands of your tūpuna for a recognition of those rights, and you have done it gracefully, and the results are being brought to you. I'm Gareth Thomas, and this insight looks at the rapid pace of settlements, their durability, and the business of tough negotiation. This year, members of Ngāti Rārawa at the top of the South Island perform a wero, or challenge, as leaders sign their $12 million settlement. Fearing a conquest from neighbouring tribes in king country, their ancestors travelled south, where they lost land to the crown and private companies. The chair of Nati Rarawa, Amaro Luke, says their agreement has given the tribe the confidence to reassert itself. With the settlement we get now, if we are very wise and astute, we could build a foundation for our future generations where, to turn it all around, we might own all of Tetoihu again. <laughs> a Tuhoi Haka at the ceremony to seal this tribe's deed of settlement at Parliament. An agreement with this iwi was seen by the Crown as one of the toughest nuts to crack, and the Minister for Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations, Chris Finlayson, was nervous. I think people realise that if ever there was a settlement that sort of cried out to be concluded, it was this one. I've um, always been very anxious about that one because I knew it would be hard. So given the history of land confiscation, betrayal and brutal military campaigns, how was an agreement reached? A former New Zealand ambassador to Washington, John Wood, was brought in to lead government negotiations. Without an arrangement for Te Urawera National Park, as it still is, acceptable to both sides, there would not be a comprehensive settlement with Tūhoi, there could not be. So a very palpable sense that these are negotiations, not only of significance to the Crown, significance to the Iwi, but of national importance. There wouldn't be too many times that that would be within reach, that if you failed again it was likely to be another 30 or 40 years before you would take up the negotiating reins again. Te Urewera National Park has always been the deal-breaker or maker for Tuhoi. John Wood recalls the moment when the prospect of an agreement almost slipped from their fingers. A very real anxiety that there may not be a way through. And I think uh, at a breakthrough moment when we tried out some of the innovation uh, realisation that, yes, that could be a way through, um, I think there was enormous relief and a degree of emotionalism, I think, on, on both sides. Not in terms of intensity, uh, but just of emotional relief. A realisation it was still going to be very hard and very complex business to follow that path, but we could both of us see a path and a way through. And for, I would say, uh, quite a long time, uh, we 
couldn't be sure that that was there. When it comes to deciding who to negotiate with, the Crown calls some of the shots. It has a firm policy of negotiating with what it calls large natural groupings. But that approach comes at a cost. Some Hapu and Iwi feel forced into a claimant's corner. Between Te Urewera National Park and the Kaingaroa Forest is Waioho Valley, home to the haunting sound of the Kōkaku. For one Tuhoi Hapu, the tranquility of the forest has been shattered. We say that the Crown simply has not settled Ngāti Hakapatuheuheu's claims. Robert Pofari is the chair of Ngāti Hakapatuheuheu. He says the Tuhoi package does not account for how his ancestors suffered. Our main key issues were uh, the Waioho fraud, where we were defrauded at 7,000 acres of land and forcefully evicted from that block, and the fact that we were imprisoned at a place called Teputere by the Crown, and we had massive loss of Ngāti land and lives arising from the actions and omissions of the Crown. The relationship between Ngāti Hakapatuhiohio and Tuhoi negotiators is not good. Both parties say they've been unable to set up talks. A Tuhoi leader, Tamti Kruger. Tehutahi Tuhoi has always and continued over five years to plead and ask for time to discuss these issues. We have not been invited. We are not welcome to have those discussions. Robert Pofere is critical of what he describes as the race to complete a settlement, and he doesn't hold back on what he thinks of the Crown's speed to resolve treaty disputes. In its indecent haste to cobble together this cheap and nasty settlement, they have forced their policy, which we believe is deeply flawed, um, their, their settlement policy, on all of us. They, for instance, do not accept the fact that we have withdrawn from Te Now, despite the fact we told the Crown we were withdrawn, they refused to accept that and have insisted that our claims still be represented by Te Kotahiatuhue and that Tāmati Kruja were to negotiate that. Well, we didn't give Tāmati that permission, we didn't give Te Kotahiatuhue that permission, and we certainly don't need the Crown's permission to withdraw. And have you had an opportunity to talk directly with the Treaty Negotiation Minister? We have, and it's all fallen on deaf ears in their zeal and their uh, haste to get this all done and dusted and, and, and put it away. What they've done is ignored our entreaties to them. We've said our claims are off the table. We are, do not want them included in the Tuhua settlement. They've tried to force us into a settlement that we uh, do not agree to. We've not given permission to. We have not had any consultation. John Wood, the government's negotiator, believes he can be the go-between for those who feel they've been shut out. It's uh, happening right now in the case of Tuhoi. I'm facilitating discussions between Tuhoi and people who feel that they have an interest. Yeah. Well, what are you saying to them? Well, we're saying exactly that. This is the settlement. It's acceptable to both of us. We need you to know the details of it and um, have a discussion about whatever interests that the other grouping feels that it has. Kia ora, it's Lynx here from Catch a Fire, and you're listening to Te Reo Irirangi Orangitane. Kia ora, Further down the North Island, Rangitani people in Palmerston North say their voice has been silenced. They say the Crown is choosing to deal with a local Māori organisation, Tane Nuiarangi Manawatu Incorporated. We represent the people of Rangitane Ki Manawatu, yet someone else is actually claiming to represent us, and that someone else aren't the correct people. 
Bridget Ta'awiawi Bevan of Rangatani Ki Manawatu says other people are telling their history, and that's not right. We have never ever agreed that that incorporation speak for us as a people, speak for our iwi, our hapu. We speak for ourselves, and our kaumātua have always said that. And we follow them, and they left this legacy for us to actually continue to make things right for our future generations our children, our mukapuna, because they're the ones that are going to be asking questions later on. Dr Rajiri is another member of Rangatane. He says whakapapa is being ignored. It's a flawed process because it should have been the responsibility of the government agent to determine who actually had the legitimate right to, to be making the claim. Their hapu of Ngāti Tauri is actually a hapu of Ngāti Apa, not of Rangitāne. So there's a fundamental flaw in the process already. But there's an easy way to sort it out. You just simply go to the tribes around the area. The respected elders of Ngāti Rokoa, Ngāti Kaufata can tell you straight away who are the, the traditional families of Rangitāne. They know. The government makes no apology for dealing with groups of claimants, as the Minister for Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations, Chris Finlayson, explains. There are always people who say it's not enough. Why are we settling? Uh, this mandated organisation doesn't represent us. It should be someone else or we want to negotiate on our behalf uh, by ourselves. So, you know, these matters are treated individually as they arise, but I'm not surprised at the fact that some people do dissent. Chris Finlayson says organising clusters of claimants who assert the same rights has been fraught. I think the key thing I've learned is the importance of resolving the overlapping claims as early as possible because they can give rise to extraordinary delays without mentioning any iwi in particular. I can think of one we were just about ready to initial and then sign the deed of settlement. The detail of overlapping claims hadn't been concluded and so it took another seven months. So in all these claims, iwi have, if you like, zones of interest, and you can't sort of use boundaries necessarily, so there will be overlapping claims as one iwi's interest comes together with another one, and so it's incredibly important to do those issues early. The government's negotiator, John Wood, says those claimants who feel edged out won't be forgotten. This is perfectly standard once you get to the discernible outline of the content of a comprehensive settlement. It's a difficult, complex, but a perfectly standard part of the process. But, but, Always but under Crown rules, though? No, not really. I, I mean, I think it's in everybody's interest to ensure that the Crown reserves to itself the ability to meet those interests whenever we get into negotiation. So what you will find is that, you know, it's not the Crown's business whether somebody wants to be part of a negotiating group, and that's a decision for the groups themselves to, to take. But what the Crown does need to be in a position to do is say, if and when we get round to negotiating with that group who appear to have interests overlapping with the group that we're settling with, then we have the capacity to negotiate and accommodate those interests. As well as repairing grievous relationships, settlements can create a new alliance between government departments and iwi. New power-sharing arrangements have been set up, such as the Waikato River Authority, with tribes and the Crown managing the waterway 50-50. 
And in the eastern bay of plenty, Nati Manoa is now making decisions about its own waterway, the Rangataiki. Under its deed of settlement, by law, the district council has to work with the iwi to keep the river clean and healthy. Maramana Verko is the tribe's general manager. One of the functions, I guess, of the Rangitaki River Forum is to bring new ways of looking at things, different ways of looking at things, different ways of finding solutions, and also finding solutions that we are all generally happy to comply with and we're all able to see the benefit of. It's just great that we all, you know, the common denominator is that we all want a healthy and well river. The reason why the iwi wants to be part of the Rangitaiki River Forum is kaitiakitanga, or guardianship. Maramana Verko says because Nati Manawa now works so closely with the council, members can try to get to the bottom of why they struggle to catch tuna or eels, a culturally significant kai. When our people set hinaki to catch tuna, they very rarely catch longfin tuna, which is our ancestral taonga. They catch the shortfinned, and even then the numbers are very, very low. So that might indicate a change in their habits or a change in the waterways and the ones that they access. And considering the so-called development of different waterways, you know, that could be a real issue. Um, and the reason for that is, is um, one of the practices for river management is to clear the vegetation from the river banks and install rocks. And the purpose of that is to enable the water flow to be faster, which is what the power companies require to generate electricity. So that one thing alone, if tuna aren't able to go back to where the appearance grew up, so to speak, then it could get in the way of subsequent generations of tuna accessing those places. Over the past few years, the pace of treaty settlements has been rapid. The national-led government has pushed through more than 30 packages in four years. Labour's record was 15 over nine years. In treaty circles, Willie Te Aho is seen as one of the lawyers to hire if you want a speedy settlement through direct negotiations with the Crown. He enjoys the high tempo. One reason is that he doesn't like seeing descendants dying while waiting to resolve their grievances. I've seen uh, in the last 12 months three good men um, who uh, went through the trials and tribulations of major settlements. Now that's not even the elderly component. My wife's father, the late Wally Papa, we filed our claim in August 2008. We got to terms of negotiation by June 2010 with the intention of signing a deed of settlement by July 2011. That didn't happen because of the protests on uh, Maunga Tautari by a certain sector of uh, the farming uh, community. And uh, so that meant that our deed of settlement wasn't signed until December 2012. Well, in April 2012 he died, so he didn't get to see the fruits of uh, his works. Um, he'll see them spiritually, but he didn't see them uh, in person. Willie Te'aho moves fast. He recently pushed through a tribe settlement in just a few months, when it can take years. Although moving speedily, he says quality is not being sacrificed. 
The key thing is that if a group is in settlement mode, rather than going through the Waitangi Tribunal, if the Waitangi Tribunal is their choice, then they'll make their submissions to the Waitangi Tribunal, they'll go through the hearings process, they'll wait the uh, nearly two years to get a report. And if that's their um, approach, then they should take that approach. Uh, mine is, if there's um, a desire to settle, then we should be looking at the most efficient way of settling. And uh, with Ngāti Haua of the Matamata Morrinsville area, certainly the government has said, uh, look, we, we like what we see and we're happy to commit our resources uh, if there is an intent to uh, settle and settle within those uh, timelines. So fast track doesn't mean compromising quality. Increasingly, claimants are choosing to enter into direct negotiations, which is a cheaper and faster way of settling, certainly in the short term. The Wellington-based lawyer Janet Mason explains why there's a shift away from the tribunal. What has been happening is that there has been a tendency to not want to go down that path because it's incredibly expensive, incredibly time-consuming, and people are saying, oh, well, the redress we get now because the Crown has done so many of these um, settlements is just a templated version. So we don't really need to go to that expense or for the Crown expense and for the claimant, they don't want to wait all these years before they get some settlement and get on with their development. So they go into direct negotiations and what that means is that people sit down and say, well, how about this amount of money, I represent this amount of people and here are the lands. And some people seem to think that's a good option. Others think uh, we should have just stayed with the tribunal. It would have been completed more quickly and actually we would have had a better leverage at the negotiating table. One thing the Treaty Negotiations Minister Chris Finlayson is certain of, the agreements will stick. I'm actually very confident about the durability of settlements. I think that New Zealanders have great generosity of spirit uh, on all sides wanting these matters resolved, but I'm often asked questions of, will they be revisited in another 40 years? And the answer is no, they won't. Almost within shouting distance of Chris Finlayson, the Ministry of Justice is busy setting up a new team. It's called the Post-Settlement Commitments Unit, and its job will be to check that government agencies do what they say they're going to do, such as manage ancestral land returned to tribes. In other words, says the lawyer Janet Mason, the Crown needs to keep its new promises to Iwi. The discussions with the people in Wellington who are normally far more broad-minded and um, acknowledging of these things go out into the regions and then they have to deal with local authorities or agencies, um, staff from there, who might not be so enlightened as to treaty obligations of the Crown and who might not actually be given the extra funding to do it. So to have these words on paper is great, but what happens when it's time to enforce them if they're being breached? Iwi and other entities that have received settlements are reluctant to use their settlement funds trying to enforce these deeds. For thousands of years, people's yearning for exchanges and communication has pushed forward the non-stop development of communication technologies. When Iwi couldn't get government help to build a broadband network from Auckland to the far north, they turned to a subsidiary of China Telecom to form a partnership. Part of that Iwi group is Te Rarua, 
which says the high-speed cable link is a symbol of moving ahead and away from reliance on the crown. The chair of the tribe's Rinanga, Hami Perepi, says his people want to stand on their own two feet. The measure of sustainability and durability is, is rapidly changing from a cultural, historical one to a, an economic one. Because the truth is, if you haven't got enterprise and economy turning over, you're not getting revenue and you are therefore dependent on somebody else or something else. That is not the end situation that any iwi wants to create. If the new bond between government and iwi were to break down, Hami Piripi considers how his rinanga would cope. And again, it's all about going it alone. The biggest avenue open to us would be to seek and obtain private support and sponsorship for our own conservation activities. And um, if Doc wants to say that all the money's gone and they're sorry they can't commit to this for us, we'll say, well, see you later. We'll commit to it. We'll go out and we'll find international support and funding and do it our way. It really is an irony. Uh, and so we rely on the irony a lot. The Halley Hike by Franz Joseph Glacier Guides combines a stunning scenic flight with an incredible tour of the glacier. This is one of Naitahu's tourism ventures. When it comes to post-settlement success, many people say the South Island tribe is one of the shining examples. Crown negotiator John Wood believes Naitahu is an attractive role model and says its fortunes are an example to iwi that haven't settled. People have been enormously encouraged by what can be achieved, uh, particularly by some of these larger iwi who have settled and taken their own business unto themselves, used the resources which they've acquired to the benefit of themselves. And um, I think people have been encouraged by that. I come from the North Canterbury. I mean, I was born next to the Marae in Kaikoura. And, you know, Naitavu, just look at that. It's extraordinary. In Northland, in Tamaki through to Hauraki, there's a lot of work going on. There. The Minister for Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations, Chris Finlayson, has been a busy man, but he's about to get busier. The national-led government has a policy of settling all historical claims of alleged treaty breaches by the end of next year. Despite there being roughly another 60 settlements to go, that deadline's still in place. But read the small print and you'll find the government's goal is for all iwi who are ready to settle to be in a position to sign conditional agreements by the end of 2014. If Tuhoi talks caused anxiety for the Crown, then the big iwi Napui is the current headache, as tribal arguments persist over who should represent claimants in negotiations. But another large tribe is showing signs of reaching settlements soon. Whanganui Iwi are pleased with a plan to create a new legal entity to govern the Whanganui River, the same type of legislation being used for Tuhoi and to Uruera National Park. The new entity will be a free-thinking compromise that also separates tribes from what many regard as a Western notion of property ownership and allows their people to fulfil their role as kaitiaki, or guardians. The government negotiator, John Wood. 
we have reached agreement with the iwi and between the iwi and the crown on the major river elements and yes the same concept lies at the heart of that. Uh, the Whanganui River involves the idea of treating with the Whanganui River as a indivisible whole from the mountains to the sea and including its entire catchment and then establishing a legal personality for that called Te Awatupua and then lots of other streams of negotiation flow from that. Waitara was one of our richest river, had everything in it. Today, poison in it. Any time of the year, there was fish. Fish. Beautiful fish. In the winter, we get the pit out. By the hundreds. Thousands, aren't they? It's just over 30 years since history was made when the Waitangi Tribunal let Māori speak for themselves and give evidence on the marae. Here, the late Taranaki Kuia in Aokiroa gives evidence at Manukorihi Pa in Waitara. Today, we get nothing. Then we had white bait. Spring. Plenty white bait. Today, my, my. You kill an ex-man to get the posse so you can get a cupful. <laughs> Criticism continues to surround the Waitangi Tribunal, not of its staff or members, but its funding. Those attacks are nothing new. The treaty negotiations minister is non-committal about increasing the funding of either the Office of Treaty Settlements or the Waitangi Tribunal. Margaret Wilson says if it becomes obvious it's needed, she will seek extra funding from Cabinet. But for now, she says improving the cooperation... A decade ago, in a mirror image of this programme, Insight examined the state of treaty settlements. When it comes to funding issues, nothing much has changed. In one current example, infighting at the Crown Forestry Rental Trust, which is one of the sources of money to run the tribunal, is choking funding. That situation has forced the tribunal to ask the government for extra money to run hearings in Northland. Once all historical claims have been dealt with, the next big job for the Office of Treaty Settlements will be to tackle bids for customary marine title, when iwi and claimants assert their kaitiakitanga or guardianship rights. And the work of the Waitangi Tribunal will shift to contemporary claims, such as the airwaves or radio spectrum. The chief crown negotiator for the Auckland region, Mike Drever, thinks the tribunal's role might be reviewed. I think there will need to be in the next couple of years really a review of what is the role of the tribunal into the future they almost finished their historical inquiries so currently there are a lot of historians there is that the right type of person to be on the tribunal we will need to think about what does this mean and do we need an institution like the tribunal or some sort of treaty ombudsman or do we actually create a different way to talk Halfway through the treaty settlements, the focus is still on negotiations, what the Crown wants to give and what tribes are able to get. But attention has already turned to what Iwi are doing with their hard-earned settlement money, what investments they're making and whether the people are benefiting. As one observer put it, spending is always scrutinised, but Māori spending is under the equivalent of the Space Hubble Telescope.
I'm Gareth Thomas, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by William Saunders.